A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's the Round Ball Rock Podcast, starring Dave Schilling, Tony Parker, JaVale McGee, Joey Devine, Wayman Tisdale, Jason Kidd. Sean Keen, Troy Daniels, Serge Ibaka, how hungry are you for music? Special guest, Claire DeLune, Patreons, Laurent Casol, Merci Laurent, Silky Johnson, thank you Silky. Bone Wet Video! Thank you, BWV! Musical Guest, MB35! And now the temporary host of Round Ball Rock, Joey Devine! Hi, it's me, Joey Devine, your temporary host of the Round Ball Rock Podcast, and we are back with a brand new episode. I'm here, as always... The America's Uncle Dad. America's Uncle, first time visiting Europe this week, Sean Keen. How are you, Sean? I'm good. I'm good. I'm scouting podcast talent. That's what this is about. It's summertime. Me and Fran Fraschilla are going to be just breaking down some hurling podcasts. It's going to be great. Uh, (laughs) Visit all the podcasting hotspots of London, Amsterdam, and Dublin, where they record the most unintelligible podcasts outside of Glasgow. Um, 
all right. So let's. Sean's got to catch a plane here in a few minutes uh, yeah. to be a world traveling man. So let's get straight to our episode. We had Claire DeLune, basketball writer, uh, uh, Twitter personality, all uh, around. Journalist. Uh, journalist. Former uh, bandmate yeah. of Lizzo. Yeah. Uh, uh, music, but more importantly, a musician signed yes. to the Golden State Warriors record label. I love uh, that so much. So, uh, weirdly, we're doing two music episodes back to back. But anyway. Yeah, it's <laughs> nice to actually talk about um, enjoyable music. I almost feel like we had to do this or those James Dolan songs would still be mm-hmm. kicking around our heads. Uh, anyway, here's our conversation with Claire about a wide-reaching variety of topics, including some basketball. <laughs> some. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, some of us uh, maybe show how old we were by what music blogs we might have been reading mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. We're here with Claire DeLune, also known as Tiny Deaths, uh, to talk <laughs> about what it's like to uh, be a musician, but more importantly, what it's like to be a musician signed with the Golden State Warriors uh, <laughs> Entertainment. Uh, Claire, how are you doing? Um, it is a really cool full circle kind of meeting of my disparate worlds, I think. I had sort of, um, I've been a recording artist since I was um, a teenager. And I got into the NBA like completely as a hobby, kind of turned into a side or like a secondary career or whatever, kind of by accident, really um for me and then yeah in like 2022 last year I just when I started having conversations with the warriors with golden state entertainment um it kind they kind of like merged and it was really funny cuz the ceo of the label basically found me because he followed me on twitter for nba stuff for right. like oh, my amazing. nba <laughs> tweets and then i posted um, about my music and he was like oh she's a musician too and then like that's how he found tiny death so it's pretty crazy it came full circle um it's a very strong endorsement for spending too much time on your hobbies um because <laughs> my nba bas- basketball obsession ended up being quite helpful for my music career so so yeah yeah, I was primarily doing stand-up and uh, just joke writing stuff. And then yeah. NBA stuff became like half my profession as well. Uh, it's so funny how it just takes over like that. <laughs> it's funny, too, because I didn't connect that uh, you were the same. Because I had I used to listen to, uh, this is an older stuff, The Gardener. I had oh, it on a bunch of oh playlists, and, so but cool. I didn't. But I didn't uh, actually make the connection because I was like, "Oh, this is Tiny Desk," you know. I don't, I don't know. And I, anyway, it was like, I think I was following you on Twitter for basketball stuff for like a year before I made the connection. That's that you so were that funny. Musician. That yeah. song, oh. I feel like that's this is like well, age us both, but because that song came out in I think maybe like twenty fifteen or something yeah, around that there. That's right. Yeah, and that was like still pretty peak blog times mm-hmm. um or at least mm-hmm. like the tail end of the peak and i remember mm-hmm. it got a write-up in stereo gum yeah which was like a really big deal at the time mm-hmm. i mean we're going on like 10 years ago now um but that song ended up getting like 
a lot of traction. Like my first manager, um, who's not my manager anymore, but who was managing Tiny Desk at the time found me from that stereo gum right up. Like it was definitely a time where like one song could pop off like on the internet without any use of social media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, Which I it's, feel like it's, is such a time gone by because I feel like either TikTok or like algorithmic playlists or whatever are pretty much the only way people like discover absolutely well it's a weird thing too because like i always think about like that the mp3 blog era as almost having its like own specific genre of music too where it's like like i remember ordering like a clap your hands and say yeah album because i heard like and it was just a really strange I remember mini era of music. It feels like that only existed for five years. uh, Yeah. I mean, it was such a cut. So I, um, again, with the aging myself, but I graduated, so I graduated high school in 2007. And so my, like, they say that, you know, you're like late teens, early twenties are kind of like the, the era in music that you will like feel the most fondly about and like be the most nostalgic about forever. And that you kind of consider like the pinnacle And so I realized that I'm biased, but I think that like that times between like, I would say like 2005, 2015, like that 10 year span from when I was like, you know, 16 to like 26, um, is like such a, what was such a magical time in independent music (laughs) because it was like, like, like all the sort of like streaming and all that stuff was like brand new. Like, yeah. Like, I feel like I'm sitting on my front porch in a rocking chair, but like we didn't have Spotify when I was in high school. So like you, you had to like purchase things to hear them or hear them on the radio. Um, So it was like, there was like this kind of renaissance of like music discovery, but it was before all the major labels had kind of figured out how to hack into the mainframe of how to like take over what you heard and like how the, the kind of people in who had historically always been in control learned how to regain control of what the public was hearing. Yeah. So I feel like there was just so much cool um, indie music that, you know, was popular during that time. And that I learned about from, yeah, from blogs and from like people who are like professional tastemakers, like people who, whose careers had been dedicated to like the circulation of new music. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas now I think it's definitely more in the hands of just like the general populace, which is good and bad. I mean, there's like, there's right. pros and cons to that, but there's like, I feel like there's fewer like taste makers who are like curating, like, Oh, I found this new song by tiny desk called the gardener. And if they're like a completely unknown project out of Minneapolis, like, but we're going to put it on this blog, you know, yeah. now I feel like it's more like if things go viral or, you know, um, like kind of more organically on social and stuff, that's how people hear them. Or if like, the three people who make playlists at Spotify and Apple music, put it in a playlist. That's how you hear it. But those people are, um, you know, obviously like being fed and, and influenced yeah. a lot of stuff by like these huge, powerful labels um, who have reps who like whole job is to take the people who make these playlists out to dinner. You know what I mean? And yeah, like, it's right, almost right. weirdly like we've returned back to, to, to radio. Yeah. It's literally, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're like, we're like back in radio in like a weird way, except for with this interesting sidebar thing that none of the like adults in the room can figure out, which is that like things will just go viral on TikTok. Yeah. And I mean, the labels are desperately trying to figure out how that works and like how to reverse engineer that. 
but they haven't to be honest with you like i mean like you know on my old label they would come to me and be like oh this person just went viral doing this you should do something similar and i'd be like no like it's not gonna work when i do it it's gonna look like hello fellow kids like that's what it's gonna look like (laughs) if i try and do this thing like the whole point is that people gravitate towards something for kind of unnamed like ephemeral reasons yeah and then it blows up and that's cool and i feel like that will probably pass at some point too like we're in that kind of sweet spot right they're gonna figure out how to pay tiktok creators how to and they and they might have and they have already (laughs) you know but but we kind of are still in that like i would say like the 2014 blog equivalent of that with tiktok right now where things are just kind of happening magically and like no one really understands how um and I'm kind of I'm good with that, even if it doesn't benefit me directly. I'm still I yeah. feel like that's cool. That's cool. That's way cooler to me than like, you know, like labels uh, making sure that things get placed on certain playlists and things like that. Like yeah. that's that's more like old school radio vibes, which I think is it went away for a reason. You know? Yeah, I like it when it's just a completely random song that does that. Like uh, I just love that the mountain goats had to start i know and had to like learn what tiktok TikTok was yeah Yeah. (laughs) i love that i love that i i know i have a few friends who are in bands uh that never you know got very big i mean i I know i have uh a friend from minneapolis who is in a band who had broken up like we're done like years prior and one of their songs randomly like went extremely viral on tiktok um they generated you know like tens of millions of plays on spotify and stuff and so they like got back together and went on tour <laughs> and it's like kind of a i don't know there's just there's something sort of like on the one hand there's something kind of depressing about like how little control we have over the trajectory of our own careers when you're in music because it's just such a fucking crapshoot yeah. um at the end of the day so that's kind of depressing but it's also kind of heartwarming that like you know, there is this weird world we live in now where like a really catchy song or like something that has like a lot of merit, like can kind of find its way to the surface against all odds. Like I really think in like the, in the, you know, history of music there, there has been like more of like, there is at least a gatekeeper, you know, who has to like give you the stamp of approval Historically, they used to have to give you money to make music, but they don't really do that anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they give you the stamp of approval, it's more sort of like, cool, I'm going to like, you know, make sure people see this. But there used to be like they would, you know, find undiscovered artists and develop them and um, kind of decide like, OK, Bruce Springsteen, you have a lot of promise. We're going to like give you a budget to make an album. Um, and that doesn't really happen so much anymore. But it's a lot easier or like a lot more possible, I guess, to have people just like magically find you, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of cool in its own right. So, yeah. And now you're relying on Mike Dunleavy Jr., right? That's yeah. the, he's, <laughs> he's managing your career. That's his job. I mean, so it's funny because when I tell people that I'm signed with Golden State Entertainment, I think they kind of picture it like Steph Curry is like A&Ring my album, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it is like a separate entity, like it's owned by the same parent, like Golden State Warriors parent company. But like the people who run the label are not also running the basketball team. So um, but but there is overlap, which is crazy. Like the the person who does my PR is also doing PR for the basketball team. So 
it's it's still very it's a very like bizarre and interesting situation that I'm in, but um and cool, super cool. Uh and like I have a meeting this week and it's at Chase Center. You know, yeah, that's awesome. So <laughs> Well, so, they yeah. have a fu- they have a funny group of uh, people in the front office too, because there's there's uh, like a small number of people that were in the previous regime where the Warriors had this just nightmare owner for 15 years, yeah. and uh, it's it's so funny that these people that were in this just terrible workplace environment for so long are now just thriving with. Uh, an organization that has like a budget and uh an yeah. owner that's not afraid to talk to people yeah. and uh <laughs> no yeah, it's, a, it's a super well-run people, organization and like it's super everyone there is super pro um it's exactly what you would think you know i mean i feel like they're i have no bad words to say about them at all they're yeah. super good people who are good. very competent Please don't say anything. we we do not want to be responsible for you getting dropped because you said something bad on our dumb little podcast oh, are you, no. you going to be able to get free tickets the, the wine sellers um so i i have i've been to a, a warriors game since i signed with them and that they had, my seats were very good very nice took good care of me um, and yeah, but it's funny because, so I, as an NBA journalist, the other thing that I do, I like get better. I mean, I can sit in a very good seat with my credential as well. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, and so I haven't had to call in too many favors, like for the, for the playoffs, like I just got credentialed because I was covering the Steph versus LeBron battle, you right. know? Um, so I didn't really need to ask, which is again, a very <laughs> unique position that i find myself in now i will say Um, was it weird that after the warriors lost to the lakers in the playoffs that draymond green called you from his car in the parking lot begging (laughs) you to sign with golden state entertainment yeah (laughs) yeah it was a little weird also i thought i thought the chair under the door in my house was like a little bit of overkill um (laughs) i actually haven't met any of the players like as a journalist or as uh, a signee to Golden State's label. I've never met a warrior. So, well, I'm sure Draymond has heard you on podcasts. Yeah, that's his. <laughs> I think I will. I think I will now. meet. I think I will meet some of them eventually because that I think they're they're trying to do more like you know integrative marketing kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, and as a journalist, I probably. Uh, yeah. We'll meet them eventually doing that. Well, also, uh, Steph Curry is now embarking on a musical career, so there could be some oh, synergy my, there. That was the best moment of my life. Like, I... It's it's like, you know, when, like, historical things happen, like, bad historical things, or, like, I remember mm-hmm. exactly where I was. Like, I remember exactly where I was when someone tweeted at me a link to Steph Curry singing with Paramore. Well, like, I have the clip here, so uh, for any of our listeners, it. let's... Uh... Run the Let's, clip. Yeah. All right, that's probably enough. Um, uh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I love it so much. Let's talk about a confluence of my interests. That's well, like my career in a nutshell. 
Sean and I were actually talking about when this clip came out, not to date me and Sean, who are both very old. Uh, <laughs> Paramore is like a thing I missed entirely. Uh, okay. Like, I remember Misery Business and that's it. And then suddenly this clip came out and everyone was talking about how Paramore was like one of the most important bands to their life. And then I was like on their Wikipedia and I was like, oh man, this this is like no doubt. I thought this was just like a one hit wonder tiny emo band, but this is like a huge important band to people. Um, so first off, uh, you're you're a professional singer. Um yes. How do you feel about Steph's how do you feel about Steph's vocal performance there? I thought he killed it. I'm yeah. not even being facetious at all. I thought he was amazing. He was like it's also this is like getting into the weeds of like nerdy musical shit, but like mm-hmm. the it's the intro to when he was singing, right? There's like an extended like uh instrumental solo before that part and it's mostly bass and drums. There's not a whole lot of melody happening and he came in exactly in key. Which is actually really hard to do because, like, there's not very many, like, like cue notes happening in the instrumental to indicate, like, where you're supposed to be singing. Um, so as a singer, I was like, that is so impressive that he, he just, <laughs> and what that indicates to me is either that he does have some musical talent and or that this song is, like, so pivotal and important to him that, like, you know how sometimes, like, if you're just singing a song, like, in, like, acapella if you know it well enough like you'll cue up the song and you'll be like oh this is like exactly right like i was already in the key of the song it's because it's like that muscle memory i do not know how that feels because i have zero musical talent at all but yes i'm like maybe that is i'm like i guess i've only experienced music as a singer but yeah like i i think it, it indicates that he he definitely has some musical talent. Also, I thought his stage presence was amazing, which actually kind of makes sense because he's he is a performer. He performs mm-hmm. basketball, but he's used to like being in front of a large crowd and like entertaining them. But I thought he looked so comfortable on stage. He was like, he just looked like a rock star. I was like so impressed. Normally when <laughs> NBA players get on stage, because it happens a lot with rappers, right? Like mm-hmm. NBA players get on stage. They look like such herbs once they're <laughs> in a rap show <laughs> and he really like he just absolutely killed it and i think it's really funny because it's a historical truth that like rappers wish they were ball players and ball players wish they were rappers it's like yeah. this weird like grass is always greener thing um it was really interesting because that's not true obviously about like pop punk from the early 2000s <laughs> like it's not interchangeable that way but it was so cool watching i had a tweet go kind of viral that was just like a link to this clip basically uh-huh. and it was so interesting watching like paramore fans discover the nba oh, <laughs> like, they amazing. were just like they were like oh i'm thinking i'm gonna start watching basketball now this guy seems really cool <laughs> and i was just like this is incredible that's it, he's like he's clearly a big fan of the band because uh oh yeah i think five years ago he had whenever his 30th birthday was i think yeah they played ago. at his birthday yeah and yeah. and we're like he was so into it so clearly he had been on board for a while yeah and uh i mean we're around the same age like it makes perfect sense to me like misery business the song he was singing in that clip um was i think I was either like a junior or senior in high school when mm-hmm. that song came out. And I think he's like maybe a couple of years older than me. Um, so yeah, like that was very formative musical times for us. That song was massive too. I don't know if you yeah. guys, I mean, like 
No, you it's just I'm, I'm like two years too old, basically. Because yeah. like in, in like 2000, 2003 to 2006 was the prime time of me just searching out the most new music I could. And yeah. uh, kind of being a little lonely and mostly doing comedy. So I would like listen to these giant playlists and blog late at night you know like that was yeah uh but yeah so it, it probably I, I like just missed it basically but th- but this was also i feel like this wasn't like cool music at the time like it definitely wasn't like pitchfork approved yeah that like, and that's how i missed yeah, it i was okay, like probably... stuck in because i was big it's like into, on trl yeah i was big into the first part of emo like cursive and okay. bright eyes and the kind of stuff and then so like the saddle creek yeah i was yeah i was so in the, oh so embarrassing <laughs> but yes um <laughs> I, a lot of that stuff's really good i don't oh I yeah oh for sure it's just uh it was an embarrassing part of my personality i would say as a young person <laughs> trying to find himself <laughs> Um, but you didn't you didn't make it all the way to like dashboard confessional uh i had the first dashboard album okay. but i once, referenced one of those songs yeah. a lot <laughs> once, the, like screaming infidelities yeah. uh but yeah. like once dashboard was on mtv i was like mm, sell out by yeah, I, I I wasn't like the I would say my wheelhouse, like I wasn't like a scene kid. Like so like there was a whole thing in, you know, when I was like in high school, like there was like scene kids. They had like the swoopy side hair with the one streak of platinum in yeah. it and like a million bracelets and like all that stuff. And like Paramore was sort of like the the like biggest of those bands. And I wasn't like a scene kid. Like that wasn't my I was more, yeah, I would say I was more like maybe somewhere in between you and that where my favorite bands were like, yeah, yeah, yeahs and like yeah. um, Grizzly Bear and whatever. So I it was definitely like the kind of like, yeah, stereo gum, pitchforky, like bloggy bands. And I like hung out in a coffee shop a lot. And, you know, it was like that. That was definitely more my vibe in high school. But um, but I think Paramore was just like it was like, you know uh such a quintessential band to that time yeah of for people of a certain age that i think it's like part of it is they they were always really good and they weren't taken seriously because they were popular so it was a time where like if you i feel like now actually like pitchfork will review like olivia rodrigo's record or something like there is a little more intersection between the sort of like highbrow musical taste and like pop i actually have a problem with how pitchfork has done that too um (laughs) Well, no one I, really cares about Pitchfork. Exactly. Okay. But which, that was sort of my problem is when they went back and re-reviewed all those albums, it was like Im- oh, so no, that's embarrassing. so pretentious and embarrassing. Yeah. yeah no, it was like so embarrassing. Um, it's like you were too cool for it then. So you're just so like die on that hill. Dude. Right. And like, But you also you're it. like erasing your website's history. Like it's important for like what Pitchfork was that they gave Liz Fair's album a zero. Like you guys were <laughs> assholes. Like you can't go back and erase that i feel like yeah they just need to own they just need to own how pretentious they were and it was like like informed it informed a lot like you think about it kind of was like quite influential that you weren't allowed to like like pop music and be like a you know like a notable like cool like tastemaker journalist at that time yeah um i think we've kind of like maybe due to like tiktok and sort of like the wholesomeness of it or maybe due to like 
who knows, like just the globalization of the world. We've kind of like accepted that people can contain multitudes and you can like really, really like, you know, like Billie Eilish or like whatever, like yeah. interesting thing is on pop radio. And you can also be like, my bloody Valentine is my favorite band. And that's not like a contradiction. It's just like mm-hmm. you can like more than one thing. But I actually um, think we've gone a little too far that way in like because i heard actually a critic for the new york times talking about music criticism on a podcast this week and how much it's changed now he's like now i would never write that i don't like this band and it's like then what's your job yeah (laughs) like uh (laughs) is it is it is it just like stan culture has taken off too much that like you'd be i do think that's part of it yeah Yeah, i think they're kind of scared to say bad things about like especially someone like taylor swift or someone like that i feel like it's become like so taboo to like criticize her in any way um and that's i agree with yeah, you it's I guess, not unlike uh criticizing kobe on twitter anyway keep going <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but but actually but that's a good point because i i think the reason i disagree with you a little bit is that i think like it's true that it's less socially acceptable to just like malign people and I think that's maybe okay. Like, I feel like, like people talk about that with basketball too. They're like, oh, like you can't like say a player's trash anymore. I'm like, well, but none of them are trash because they're yeah. like the most oh, talented people sure. in the world. Yeah. And they are playing in the NBA, which is like basically impossible to do, especially if you're not like from, if you're not, if you're not Steph and your dad didn't play in the NBA, like the chances of you actually making it is yeah. just so, so infinitesimal. And even if your dad was in the NBA, you could be like Sharif O'Neal, who, you know, did pretty good at summer league last year and never made an NBA roster. So like, it's so hard to do. And I feel like music's the same way. Like it's so hard to get your music heard. It's essentially, it's mathematically impossible to have more than like a hundred people ever hear whatever you do as a musician. Mm -hmm. So I do think that the fact that people have to like take pause before they just shit all over something is like maybe okay. And, and maybe good even, but there is probably like a happy medium where you should, you should be able to, to, insightfully and and with kindness critique exactly and say what That's, you don't like about something yeah and hopefully we'll kind of end up somewhere in the middle i think it was like yeah like to your point maybe a little bit of an overcorrection um but i like that people can't just like blindly shit all over things anymore oh absolutely especially because not to be like that as a woman but but like as a woman a lot of it was hella sexist yeah <laughs> you know oh, so no, like absolutely oh, yeah. i'm not pining for the days of <laughs> shitting on liz fair or whatever but um because she made a a uh major label album as an adult which woman. was really good i thought <laughs> yeah um but uh <laughs> i just think there is a certain point in weirdly twitter has made it so our culture has become because i like something it has to be great art and it's okay for it not to be like a marvel movie doesn't also have to win best picture because it made all the money in the world and like depending, there's depending on the marvel movies some of them are really good though yes no i i like marvel movies i'm just saying like there was I know, I know there was saying. a difference between you know um I don't know. There's a difference between like art and pop and like uh, pop culture. And that's okay. uh, That we've sort of weirdly lost. Um, I think I see both sides in that. Like, I think it's okay to, to enjoy something, even though it's not high art. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I agree with you on that. But I also think that historically a lot of what we've deemed like worthy of being high art and like what we've deemed like, this is like has value 
beyond just like that it's popular appeals to a certain demographic of people and like there's um jessica hopper's written a lot of really cool stuff about this but basically there's been sort of a delineation between like what teenage girls like and listen to and what like everybody else likes and listens to and the Mm -hmm. teenage girl taste kind of has been the driver of like what's popular in in music culture etc um what, what we consider like mass popularity like mass culture it kind of stems from like what teenage girls are into mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think that there is like value in taking their tastes and interests oh, more seriously absolutely so well, I, w- I would say i'm somewhere in the middle on that on that's, that like that's all i'm asking for is some kind of middle ground <laughs> i think we've gone a little too far one way um well what i think is interesting too is what you were saying about uh the time when your musical interests get really formed yeah it's like well that's one reason why that's what drives the market is like you're never yeah most of the time you're never going to be quite as insanely passionate about music as you were right right then so it's like yeah that that makes sense that these are the the most passionate fans although it was it was kind of amazing to see the flattening of that like when you'd see uh footage of taylor swift concerts where it's like you'll see a 15 year old boy crying next to a 55 year old woman crying. Yeah. With emotion well, she's like such a time. cultural phenomenon. I actually refuse to weed into the, to Taylor Swift because <laughs> I'm just like, I value my life, my life, life yeah, and livelihood too much. <laughs> um, but it is, I do find it fascinating, like that she's like the, the level of enormity. And again, to like um, shout out writers that uh, I like that have written about this, um, Brittany Spanos from Rolling Stone wrote a piece about kind of breaking down how she believes like the kind of confluence of events between like the pandemic and all these different things that led to Taylor Swift becoming like the biggest thing on the face of the planet right now, musical or otherwise really. So uh, yeah. Now you guys have, don't you love listening to a podcast and getting homework? I've just given you like, Um, you're like, I don't like to, I don't want to read. That's why I'm listening to a podcast. Well, there's, there's, there's a little bit of a uh, common thread, at least with the internet with, uh, NBA stuff too, mm-hmm. where it really feels like, um, you know, back in like 2005, it felt like the most niche thing in the world that someone was writing about just enjoying athlete styles. Like, yeah, <laughs> to, I just remember reading like Free Darko and a little bit of um, Dime Magazine. Was it? No, it's um, Slam was a little bit like that too. With yeah, okay, yeah. stuff where you're like, oh, this is just a profile of a guy where they're talking about how awesome his spin moves are and how weird it is to have like a six, eight guy handling the ball. And there's not like, it, it doesn't have anything to do with this playoff performance. And now that seems a lot more uh, acceptable and mainstreamed and to like talk about how players have uh, feelings. You know? That, <laughs> I know <that's>... who knew. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, I think just as a world, we are, or at least, you know, as a society, whatever, we're kind of meandering slowly in the right direction, I would say, in a very wobbly fashion of understanding that people like it kind of all comes back to like, we're just we're just broadening our perspectives of like what we are as people and like what what's okay. And like, essentially, the, the take home from all this stuff is that like, we all contain multitudes. We're not one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're not allowed to be interested in something else. Just because you 
your music's popular doesn't mean it's not doesn't have value just because you're an athlete doesn't mean you don't have feelings like mm-hmm. we we we're coming out of a a, a, histo- a history of just seeing things in a very like binary black and white kind of way and we're kind of like broadening that um slowly and incrementally over time and so i think that's kind of what you're seeing is like especially with the nba like it it is such a like cult of personality in like the best way like it's not that's what made me fall in love with basketball is it 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 shouldn't be covered like other sports because it's not like other sports mm-hmm. like they don't have protective facial gear covering their faces like it, it the in, the arenas are smaller than they would be in like football or soccer or whatever like you are kind of up close and personal with these people and and i do feel like nba players are generally like often more compelling and interesting yeah. um than you know athletes in a lot of other sports like they do have other interests and stuff like that oftentimes so i think it's good that we're celebrating that um i, I don't love you know obviously some of the like other side of that which is like these sort of clickbaity stories or like the first take kind of round table where it's like about everything except basketball like you know that stuff gets obviously a little bit tiresome but i well, do think it's speaking of that like stan culture and like sexism too i actually think the way twitter talks about malika andrews now is like disgusting oh but it's, where it's, it's like it's how like a... dare you ask this guy about how he brought a gun to a murder at the draft it's supposed to be his greatest day and it's like it's her job as a journalist, dude, to ask those questions. It's a time-honored tradition of of holding women doing a job to an impossible yeah. standard. Like, oh, I would yeah. say, like, Rachel got a lot of that, too, you know, when yeah. she was mm-hmm. in that spot. So um, it's it's amazing. Like, I have obviously a lot of, I have a lot of, you know, friends who are women who do this job. Um, I have a lot of them are a lot more famous and successful than me. And I see, like, what their mentions looks like and stuff. And um, even like my friend Kristen Ledlow, who does NBA yeah. TV, like even her mentions, and she's like the most, like the least controversial, like most. She's an angel right. person, yeah. like she's <laughs> literally, she's just like, like a wonderful, like God fearing mother who's like gorgeous and beautiful. Like she could not fit more into the box of what these people ostensibly want their like female reporters to be. And she still gets like so much like hate and vitriol just for existing. Um, So it's like, for me, my kind of point of view has always been like, well, what's the point of trying to like fit into like, screw that. Like mm-hmm. you're going to hate me and tell me I'm stupid. And I don't know anything about sports, no matter what I do. Right. So I'm just going to do exactly, exactly what I want. And like the chips will fall where they may kind of a thing. So like, I I think Malika to her credit, like she's so smart and passionate and driven. She loves her job so much and she works so hard. I do think that she's able to like, you know, tune some of that stuff out to a degree, but I mean, nobody can tune all of it out and I'm sure it's exhausting. Well, and I also think it's partly a reaction. I want to make this very clear. I'm saying this, not Claire, who is a uh, credentialed, NBA journalist, <laughs> but I think it's a reaction to the largest NBA reporters now are like access hounds who would never write a story about that would maybe uh, anger an agent or whatever to lose the fact that they could then 
tweet out a trade 20 minutes before everyone else. But that's just yeah, well, me. The, the biggest uh, reporters saying don't that, really not write. <laughs> but no, uh, it, it, it feels like the the most famous and biggest reporters don't like really write stories or profiles necessarily. Yeah, I think you're talking about two different type like types of NBA. No, I'm I'm serious. Like I think you're t- there's two different. There's like a two different breeds of NBA journalists. There's like newsbreakers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there, maybe there's, I guess there's kind of maybe three. There's like newsbreakers. There's like talking heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like, like people doing actual journalism. Yeah, um, the people who like to write. Yeah. Right. And uh, so I think like the, you know, the Woj's and whatever of the world, like those are like newsbreakers and their job is to just have access and report on that access. Then there's the people who are a lot of them are former players whose job is to just make entertaining television. And so they don't really need to concern themselves with like actual journalism because it's truly not their job. Like they're not like failing at their job. Like they're excelling at their job, which is to make (laughs) TV that people want to watch. And then there's people like, you know, my colleagues who are actually trying to like report on things and like do journalism. Um, And I think all three types do exist still. Um, yeah, I just mean I think there's for a certain percentage of fans, they follow Woj, they follow Shams, they follow Haynes, and that's the entirety of the NBA journalism they follow. So then when they see yeah. a journalist like Malika at the draft asking a player tough questions, it's like, what the fuck? Um, like, how would yeah. you do this? <laughs> I don't know. I do. I do feel like to harken back to our earlier point. I do feel like that's a lot more sexism. Oh, than just like, absolutely, as well. Yeah, because I think if it was, I think if it was like Jalen Rose asking those tough questions at the draft, they would just be like, "Oh, he did such a good job. He was like so yeah. firm." <laughs> you know. Um, but I'm also like. I'm also someone who's just like, I'm not mad at them for not asking tough questions at the draft. Like we don't yeah. watch the dr- draft to do investigative journalism. We watch the draft to watch people's <laughs> dreams come true. You know what I mean? Like there's a time and a place. So I don't I know. Do- I think, yeah, I think it's fine. I I, <laughs> I just like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm exhausted by sexism. So like a lot of times when people are like, like, Oh, this is so shocking. I'm just like, like, welcome to my mentions. Like this is every day of my life. Yeah. <laughs> There's um I like that the NBA draft has swung away from what the NFL draft seems to have done recently, which is uh to bring up the most tragic moment in anyone's life, like 10 seconds after they got their dream job. Yeah, I'm just like, why like I for at least for me personally, like I don't watch the draft to learn anything. I'm not no. there to learn. <laughs> I'm there to just like watch this really joyful moment where someone's dreams come true. And mm. see, I watch it cry. for Fran Frischilla. Bring him back, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you want weird insider European yeah. basketball. I mean, I do <laughs> like when when a when a player is selected and they have usually like uh I think like Jay Billis or whatever, like uh sitting there and being like I'm going to translate this because I actually know about college basketball. And so they're like, this guy plays for UConn and he's got great length and his yeah. wingspan is crazy. Like that is helpful because yeah. I, as someone who like basically only follows college basketball to participate in a March Madness bracket, like I, yeah. I don't know all these players. So it is interesting to me, but like, yeah, for the most part, I think it's just like a beautiful, I don't know. It's like, it's similar to watching someone get inducted into the hall of fame. Like I'm not, 
I don't really care what's in their speeches. I just think it's like so emotional and lovely to watch someone's like absolute biggest, most impossible dream become reality in real time. Like how often do we get to do that in to like be a voyeur into people's lives and kind of like be there for like their most, their biggest, most meaningful, most joyful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not like, I mean, I don't like really report. Like, I I have never like pitched a story about the draft or anything. Like, I don't really care to like analyze or report on it. I'm just like, I just want to like enjoy it. It's like, for the most part, like quite wholesome and just like lovely to behold. <laughs> it's funny too because it it the the draft is there's so much of a kind of like mock draft industry and draft commentary mm-hmm. uh, where everybody wants to like give people a score and so much of the draft is actually just pre-draft stuff where players are getting interviewed well like it's just (laughs) less of it's less of like a random people are always like oh they got that guy at 11 they 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 could have got this guy at 13 and it's really like no it's not it's not really what you think like it's it you are hiring somebody for a job usually you like talk to them and figure out where they want to go a little bit first and yeah uh, yeah there's been interviews there's been yeah yeah. exercise everybody's doing on the internet um, Did you hear that? Um, yeah. like, uh, there was a clip of Stephen Adams on JJ Reddick's podcast talking <laughs> about his pre-draft process. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> it was so good, and he was just sort of like, "Yeah, like I really didn't think they were gonna like. I'm not gonna do a fake Australian accent or like New Zealand accent because it's probably would be really offensive. But like, he's just like, yeah, like I really didn't have any expectations for getting into the NBA. Like, they flew me out for free and put me up in these nice hotels for these pre-draft combines and whatever, and like these workouts, and I got to eat for free. I brought my brothers with me. It was super fun, and then it was crazy because like I went 12, mate. Like, yeah. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah there was like, someone he meets who tells him like you average six and six in college what are yeah. you doing and he's like eh, i don't know and he's just like i'm just here for a good time not a long time and i'm like yeah. i love that it was amazing you get to see some of that that's one of my favorite things about summer league is when because there's a lot of guys who it's very high pressure you're like trying to make the roster you're a second round pick or something mm-hmm. but there's something glorious about like the 25 year old who's there because he went to ucla and he's already has a contract in the German league and it's just like a nice payday in Las Vegas for two weeks. And they're yeah. just like, it. it's just, it's like, I like it when the player at summer league has the same attitude as the average fan at mm-hmm. summer league. Yeah. Like, yeah. This like, is just oh, fun. It's July. Just go hang what out in Vegas. Doing? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah and, I love summer all, league. My, my room's comped, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Great. <laughs> Um, no, summer league is my favorite. I love it. That the vibes are unmatched and I've written about this actually, but like, um, it's just because it's the off season, but it's, it's this like really sweet spot in the off season where all of like the biggest trades have probably already happened. Like a lot, like people's rosters are mostly set. So everyone from like the front office to the players are like truly not really working at that moment. Like they yeah. actually are done for the year by, you know, mid July. And they're just like all in Vegas hanging out. Yeah. It's yeah. glorious. Like all-star weekends, not like that. You know, obviously the playoffs, the finals, like even all-star weekend, it's like, they're not working really because it's like a, a week off, but it's right in the middle of the season. Yeah. And the trade yeah. deadline. And the trade deadline's like happened. hovering. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I think, yeah, summer league is really special for that reason. It's just like a lot of optimism, a lot of like good vibes. <laughs> we had a funny experience uh, last year at summer league where, um, uh, yeah, the, I think Kevin Durant was had made his trade request or was about to make his trade request. And okay. so we were constantly seeing Sean Marks talking to people 
and it was always like, oh, this trade's about to happen. Yeah. You know, Sean Marks is talking to Messiah. Sean Marks is talking to this guy. But then you realize, like, actually, they're colleagues. Who they're just like friends. Each other yeah. That, but yeah, yeah. like they <laughs> they could be talking about like, oh, they they who saw Cirque du Soleil? I don't think they're all seeing Cirque du Soleil, but I'm like, yeah. for and some reason, I think happen. like Sean Marks might. Uh, I don't know why. Yeah. yeah, no, that that tracks. I mean, I, I do think, obviously, like big deals and things do happen at summer league or at least like they get initiated sometimes or whatever but for the most part it's just like i don't know and i think that's part of the um the myth of sports is that all these people like really hate each other and they're all like in battle at all times and maybe that was like a little truer you know in like the 70s and 80s and stuff like that or even the 90s but like for the most part like yeah, there's people who don't like each other. There's people who have beef. Like, that's true in any office politics. There's going to be, like, you know, Bob doesn't mess with Laura on the fourth floor or whatever. Like, you know, there's yeah. going to be, like, inter-politics, like, inter-office politics. But the NBA is really sort of, like, a, a one big community with, like, arbitrary deline- delineations for teams. But, like, a lot of these people have bounced around from team to team, whether it's on the front office side or player side and they're yeah they're friends they're colleagues like they they chop it up you know even like yeah. after a game you'll see guys like like or like if you if you go to, if you go to an nba game you won't see this stuff on tv but if you go to a game you'll see guys like just like chit-chatting at the free throw line like not being like not talking shit to like get in each other's heads just being like hey how's your wife you know what i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah like, and when you think about how long some of these guys have been playing against each other too i mean i mm-hmm. thought it was i thought it was funny when chris paul going to the Warriors is like there's not really that many uh players who are considered just outright enemies of a team yeah. or fan base and Chris Paul was really yeah one of the last level. ones which is what makes yeah. it funny and then they um, traded for him and then everyone remembered like oh yeah he used to train with Chris Paul and they've even gone on family vacations together yeah and then you watch them at the all-star game a couple of years ago they're both throwing alley-oops to each other and Although it was a little bit refreshing when Draymond Green said that he still wasn't going to like Chris Paul, even though they were teammates. I'm like, okay, that's a, that's a throwback. That's a, <laughs> that's what we all imagine. This is, and they're going to, I think they're going to become friends, Joey. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be on a podcast together immediately. Yeah. Chris Paul's going to have to start podcasting. That's um, the biggest adjustment he's going to have to make. He'd be good at it. I think he's going to. So yeah, he's, he's actually, yeah, he never, <laughs> it's weird that he doesn't, do it very much but he has he's he's just been in so many really weird fascinating situations that yeah uh, his eventual vanity documentary is going to be really good for apple in about three or four um yeah he's super super smart too not to change the subject but claire there's one thing i wanted to play for you because you are an nba uh an nba expert and a musical expert (laughs) and i wanted to ask you have you ever considered uh, recording a cover of "You Can't Touch This," where you do multiple impressions that are at least are that are very dated, even at the time? Because that is what Dwight Howard did one time. Back in the day, I'll even down, get down. You can't touch this. I'll be by. Break it down. Yep, that's right. Uh, He does amazing Arnold. Yeah, he does Arnold. He does um, 
Uh, he does Charles Barkley. Who else does he do in that song, Sean? Do you remember? Does he do Stan Van Gundy in that song? Uh, I can't remember. Does he do Charles Barkley? He does Barkley for sure. So um, he, he, his, his like go-to set of impressions is Arnold Schwarzenegger, Shaquille O'Neal, and Charles Barkley. And, and Stan Van Gundy. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, I feel like Van Gundy is kind of nuanced. Like, how would yeah. you do Stan Van Gundy? Like, is it just kind of shouty or like, it's kind of shouty and nerdy. Yeah. He also okay. does, don't forget, he does Stewie from Family Guy. That is oh, his right. last impression. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, Katie Heindel has made me do conversations between both Van Gundy brothers a couple times on the podcast. Oh, and okay. Stan is harder than Jeff. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, Jeff, I feel like Jeff I could maybe do a stand I mean yeah, maybe just like a little whiny. They both yeah. have kind of like a whininess. And he has it's it's the way that he breathes that makes his oh, God. sound kind of weird. So that's That is the key. Really Honestly, nail. impressions like people who are good at impressions, they're so perceptive of like the little things like that. Because that is really like those little nuances are really what sets mm-hmm. like a voice apart. So that's so interesting. And that is and how I would describe Yo, oh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Oh no no you go ahead. <laughs> I I would describe uh everything about Dwight Howard as nuance. So yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, he's not I mean, I think it's safe to say he's not particularly skilled at impression. So I think that tracks. He would um, disagree. <laughs> I was just going to say I'm kind of I've always been kind of surprised I'm not better at impressions because I'm a singer and like my right. ear is so trained. Um I I like I'm very sensitive to like noise and like I can hear like I'm like always the first person to hear when a smoke detector is like running out of batteries. You know what I mean? Like I'm so sensitive to that shit. So I've always been surprised that I'm not better at impressions. But I have I have like a couple in my pocket, like any uh, any person I think has one or two, but I'm not particularly skilled at that well now i want to hear who are they who are your you don't have to do them i will not make you do the impressions but i want to know who your your back pocket impressions are um they're so like obscure because it's so random when i'm able to successfully do it Mm -hmm. um like one of them is a character from daria if you remember daria oh i remember daria yeah um i'm trying to think who the other ones are there's like members of my family i'm really good at <laughs> impersonating mm-hmm. um yeah no i'm just not i'm not great at it i'm not great at it but I, that's part of why i didn't go into acting i went into yeah. it. <laughs> um all right sean is there anything else you want to ask claire here well I'm... i wanted to play her uh steph curry's college rap to okay give her another we can, oh wow we can do that so yeah he, i've uh, actually never heard that so it's it's from they reveal that he did this um like public college. So we went to Davidson College yep. in uh that I knew. North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> North Carolina, right? Yeah. Yeah. And famously. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So they had this um like stu- they had a student like sketch show called The Davidson Show mm-hmm. that Steph. He was, was in on. sketch comedy. Well, he's like the best. Oh, was he like a guest? They were yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was like, like, was he in a this is but he's on a couple of episodes, so yeah. he's very game. And there's like a four and a half minute rap song about their dining commons. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, wow. And Steph does to does an extended verse, I guess I would say. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here, I'll, I'll I'll play the verse here. Sunday brunch is golden rule, and last night's <laughs> girl thinks you're a tool. Awkward eye contact just isn't cool. And your voice call outs are way too cool. The outpost might be open later, but Allison cannot play the attainer. Chest is jour is all I'm here for. Skip class today, and all I could say is, um... 
There oh, you go. Wow. That's what yeah. I have. That's the clip I'm, I have. I'm beat red, like in secondhand <laughs> embarrassment. <laughs> For the podcast audience, my whole face is flushed just with embarrassment on his behalf. It's interesting to me because like he has he's clearly made strides in that mm-hmm. department because in the Paramore video, like his rhythm is impeccable. Mm-hmm. Um, he also does a good lip syncing version of uh, he's in a recent rap video, but he's just uh, lip just lip syncing, yeah. which is I mean, hard. It is a song about him from his uh, documentary. Yeah. Lip syncing <laughs> is actually so much harder, I think, than people think it is. Because you have to have everything except the pitch, basically. Like you have to be on, you have to be on rhythm, and you have to like deliver it the same way. I I speak from like having shot music videos where you have to, you don't have to lip sync. Like you because it's like the audio is getting dubbed over. Like you can you can sing along if you want to, yeah. but um, it's you're on set for like you know fifteen hours or something, so your voice gets kind of tired if you're actually yeah. singing every take. So I've tried to lip sync, and it's like really hard to like keep your to have the movements be exactly um matching but yeah that was god awful so um i think he chose the right career i think it's safe to say he doesn't have to have any doubts in his mind i think you know it it works out okay for him in the nba so it felt very steph curry-ish that his boastful rap is just about uh striking Wait, so he wrote that with a girl no I, I mean i think the guys probably wrote it i'm like there's him, no way he wrote that i don't, I don't think he's, yeah. the delivery suggests that this was the first and only time he'd ever heard these words like yeah. for sure yeah i i don't know if he's actually lip-syncing in that video i think he's maybe just doing it live i don't know i i don't know how Davidson well i appreciate you guys for sharing that with me it was uh it was something i don't yeah. know what word it i would use something. to describe it but it was it did if you exist had to and I did hear, hear one song again would it be that one or the dwight howard one for sure the dwight howard one yeah. because i feel like there were so many impressions that you have alluded to that i didn't nope. get to hear well so, you I mean, know what uh hold on i've got some more here we go <laughs> oh god that's the thing is like steph's was like sounded like someone reading off a sheet of paper like Uh the swag was on zero rhythm was imperceptible but like dwight like okay for for what he's trying to do which is like an mc hammer rap Uh that's excellent it's like just who wants to listen to mc hammer in this year of our lord 2023 but like for that type of music like i thought he did a really good job yeah it's it's unclear who it's for exactly but it it is like a full album where well it's children it's for children right but like i don't i can't imagine children wanting that yeah yeah i don't know what what's what was the album called sean do you remember it's called like shoot for the stars yeah (laughs) oh wow and it's all like it all has that like kids bop kids vocals um oh one more question claire so Mm -hmm. say you're performing a show a sold out show at the chase center like paramount yeah. was mm-hmm. what nba player do you want to call up to to sing with you oh i mean steph curry at this point I, mean, <laughs> a, a, I thought that was brilliant a because they're at the chase center so like i mean it's just like 
I almost said it's a slam dunk and I wasn't even trying to make a pun, but <laughs> it's just puns are just so built into my DNA. Um, first of all, cause you're at the chase. So it's Steph Curry. Second of all, because he did so well, like, I feel like you'd be hard pressed to find an NBA player who would do a better job than that. I think. Um, but for me, I guess, uh, if it wasn't at chase, like maybe LeBron, just because I'm such a huge LeBron fan that I would just be selfishly using it as an opportunity to hang out with LeBron. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that, totally fair. Joey, if you could have someone come up, an NBA player come up during one of your stand-up sets. Well, first off, I don't do stand-up anymore. Just uh, want to make everyone uh, make that completely clear for everyone who's trying to book me all the time. I know. Um, but uh, it would obviously be Anthony Randolph. Yeah, that's a yeah, good point. My hero. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're just my using best this friend. as an opportunity yeah. for our personal heroes to come visit us, as one does. Um, Sean, what about you? Oh, uh, oh, for comedy, obviously Blake Griffin, the funniest. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would, I would actually. I mean, it might be Dwight Howard. I might call. I might. Like <laughs> I think I mean, he would do a pretty good job. I mean, yeah. I think if wear. you're also talking comedy, like Barkley or Shaq too, like that's like Shaq an easy slam dunk one. I think I would pick Shaq because I. I, I think I would most want to meet Shaq of any NBA player. Yeah. He's not necessarily my favorite, but I feel like he's the best one to meet. And he like DJs and stuff. Like he yeah. he knows how to like put on a performance. That's the thing is a lot of these guys, when they get on stage with these rappers to do these like appearances or whatever, they just kind of like turn into fans and yeah. kind mm-hmm. of like wither. You need somebody who's like comfortable being on stage. Yeah, for sure. And Shaq is not actually a bad rapper. He's just, you know, not a very notable rapper i guess I would say. who do you guys think is the best nba rapper i feel mm. like i honestly feel like damian lillard is like actually really good at rapping i, I mean i don't I, reach I for think his it's music. marvin bagley <laughs> and I'm, he, I'm, I'm not even kidding i think marvin bagley is the best nba rapper at least currently uh, yeah. i would say um the guys who are the best at music uh it's probably javel mcgee i think <laughs> i mean Interesting. well he he actually like got a grammy nomination for he wrote a justin bieber song did he really and then chris weber has written uh i think there's two nas songs that chris weber wrote but i think they did i don't think they did like the lyrics i've heard chris weber's rap album and it's i i just uh, remember i listened to one of damien lillard's records uh i think it was like during the like in 2020 or something and i remember being like quite impressed with like Mm -hmm his skill as a rapper i was like oh spends like, a lot of time on it you know what i mean yeah it like you can like tell like much he's, of a vanity project i think he's really good i mean i i don't know if he's good enough that he would like have been famous off of just rap if he wasn't a nba player but i i don't think he's embarrassing himself at all like i think he's it's a really good I'll, I'll tell you who the worst nba rapper is though uh it is jason kidd mm-hmm. <laughs> he's that, on he's on surprising. this like mid-90s compilation he has a song called what the kid did Oh, oh no. it's really bad. He has some line about rocking like Jim Kelly, the old Buffalo Bills quarterback. It's really incredible. He he sounds like he's like about to fall asleep. The whole Did you guys time. know that Jay Z wrote the Bugs Bunny rap from Space Jam? That's <laughs> no, not that's surprising. Like one of, that's <laughs> one of my favorite. Like re-listen to that song. The the it's called Ya Buggin. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> um, of course it is. But if you re-listen to that song with 
like the fact that Jay-Z wrote it in mind, oh. it just adds a whole nother layer of richness That's to it. Fantastic. Cause it's actually very like the, you're like, Oh yeah, this is like very well written, mm-hmm. but it's just like, you don't notice it's well written because it's being wrapped in the voice of Bugs Bunny. And it sounds so ridiculous. Um, but Jay-Z wrote that. We might um, have to review the Space Jam soundtrack. <laughs> episode. Uh, the impeccable soundtrack minus like all the R. Kelly that is now yeah, that's <laughs> not, not yeah, aging super well. But <laughs> um, I just actually wanted to point out that he's not the best rapper, obviously, but I think probably the best NBA musician of all time. We have to shout out uh, Wayman Tisdale, of course. Oh, right. Who is... Uh, <laughs> Uh, in the literal jazz hall of fame, so oh, wow. um, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's hard to do. It's hard to excel that much at, at both. I'm personally trying to do that right now. Yeah, I'm on a mission. Tisdale of uh, podcasting and music and <laughs> journalism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> trying to get into into now, the both halls of fame at the moment. Yeah. Wayman Tisdale, of course, who. Um, Played for in the NBA from 1985 to 1997, consistently always said that music was his first love over basketball. Um, Claire, is music your first love over basketball? Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I had a feeling. Yeah. All right. I mean, Look. like I, I self-identify as a musician who does nba journalism and like you know what i mean like when i when i think of my self-image i see myself as like an an artist who's like kind of an outsider in this world and is just like here like having fun and experimenting Mm -hmm. i don't see myself as like a nba journalist who does music yeah if that makes sense see when i see myself i envision myself as the starting power forward for the golden state warriors (laughs) so it's pretty weird um you can dream it you can do it So you, uh, will you hype up your new single that's coming? Out? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So my new song "Enough" is out on Golden State Entertainment on Friday, August twenty fifth. This oh, uh, this Friday, depending on when you're going to hear this, um, and it'll be available everywhere you stream music. So. All right. Thanks a lot, Claire. Um, Thank you. Uh, where can our listeners follow you on Twitter um, if they don't already? I'm sure they do. <laughs> No, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Claire MPLS from my Minneapolis days. Um, and yeah, you can uh, pre-save that song and like find my music on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever under Tiny Deaths. Um, great. Thanks a lot, Claire. Thank awesome. you. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me. All right. Thank you, Claire. You can uh, get her new single uh, this Friday. Um, or I guess this will be, what's today? Today's Wednesday. This will be up Thursday. So tomorrow, by tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to stream it on the plane. Every dollar spent on Claire's single goes straight to Chris Paul's pocket. So, you know, Mm -hmm. that's good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's our episode. Uh, we're going to play, uh, we're going to play Claire's, uh, song on the way out by Tiny Deaths. Um, but before we do that, Sean, are there any plugs you want to make? Uh, keep reading Golden State of Mind, Giants Baseball Insider, and, uh, what's the other one I do? (laughs) Yard Barker. Yard Barker. (laughs) Yard Barker. And, uh, you can also see me, I'll be at Cobb's Comedy Club on november 9th 10th and 11th with jermaine fowler one day and ryan hamilton the other two um as for me you can always follow me on twitter 
at Frankie Muniz. We're on 81623. I posted a picture of myself wearing my own racing t-shirt and wrote just a picture of Frankie Muniz wearing a Frankie Muniz t-shirt. My <laughs> brand new badass shirts are finally in. The first run sold out fast, but we will be printing one final batch of them. Whoa. <laughs> so be sure to pre-order yours on MunizRacing.com. We will not be printing these again. And I've got to say, this shirt he's wearing fucking rules. Uh, it's a skeleton wearing a Muniz Racing jumpsuit. Uh, behind his car that looks like there might be fire on it, and it says Frankie Muniz number 30. I love it. Um, so cool. Trust the process. Trust the process. And uh, shut it down. Uh, let's all listen to some tiny deaths from Golden State Entertainment. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.